the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. We having a good weekend so far. Um, we're going to talk about the London terrorist attack before. Or as MSNBC called it, a van attack. Remember, the, so last time they called it the Manchester explosion as if like an air conditioning unit just combusted spontaneously. And, and now this is a, a van attack as if the van decided to run people over and slit their throats all on their own, all on its own. Uh, so we'll chat about that. Uh, Comey, of course, but that whole fake controversy distracted people from a little Ben, Con- ben Carson controversy, which I think is important to talk about. We'll do that. Also, Wednesday was the 73rd anniversary of D-Day. So I got a couple stories related to D-Day that I want to share as well, including uh, the story of the man who FDR said won us the war. That's I mean that's pretty it's pretty high praise. So I'll tell you his story in a little bit. But I want to start here, and uh, I want to get this one clip out of the way because it is a clip of Hillary. So I'm actually legitimately amazed that Hillary is still doing anything at all. I, I imagine she has plenty of money. Um, and, and I'm really not trying to be mean. I thought she would pull a Joe Paterno. And once the one thing that she always wanted was taken from her, I thought she would pass away. And I, I don't mean that in a mean way. I really don't. Like, it happened to Roger Ailes a couple weeks ago, right? I thought she would just do to, uh, not a broken heart, but broken ambition, just check out. But not only did that not happen, she's out giving speeches and people still go to them for some reason. I don't quite... Uh, here, anyway, here she is uh, just a couple days ago. 15, This is a time for us to reach out to the world, to understand more about what is happening, not just in our own country, but indeed across the globe. It's a time for steady, determined leadership, like we are seeing from local authorities in London, including the mayor of London. And it is a time to remember Here it comes. how important our alliances are. You heard from Victor. You heard from Maya. You heard from the congressman. Getting to know one another, learning about the experiences, the lives, the cultures, the religions, the food. 
putting yourself in another's shoes, walking in them. It's even more important that we work together with our allies uh, and our friends it. and so our partners. So it's some real uh, deep yes, insight there. Yes, to keep Hillary. us safe. We can, we can stop. I can't take any more. I've hit the limit. I've hit the limit of Hillary talking. That's all. I just we got to what we needed. <laughs> we don't need a word more. It's all we can. It's all we can handle. Um, so did you hear that? We need to understand the Middle East and people in the Middle East and their culture and their religion and their food. The food that Muslims eat. I, I didn't notice it the first four times I heard that clip, but people in the audience laugh when, when she says food. But once we understand what terrorists eat, then the hate will go away. Or something. Now, now, let me be fair here. I agree with her to a point. I think it was just two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, we were talking about cultural appropriation and how this is a very dangerous concept. Cultural appropriation says that I, a white guy, can't eat a taco. And I'm actually not kidding. I can't eat a taco. Uh, I can't play uh, Mexican or any, any other music from any other culture. I can't eat food from any other culture. I can't celebrate any other holidays. I can't speak the language of any other culture other than my own. And if I do, then I'm appropriating their culture and I am a white oppressor and such nonsense. Now, this is a dangerous thing, uh, uh, principle, set of principles, there's nothing principled about it. This is a dangerous philosophy coming from our universities because it is the sharing of cultures or at the very least the understanding, but really the sharing and engaging in each other's cultures that makes us realize for the most part, and I'll get to that in a second, that we are not that different. And that is what prevents violence and, and war. That is 100% true. But here's the rub. This is only true in cultures that are compatible with each other. Or in our case, this is only true with cultures that are compatible to Western society. This, you know, we're really not that different mentality is true among different aspects of Western cultures. I should say uh, it's true among different peoples who are raised in Western cultures and Western values are not universal. We think they are because that's probably, it's, it's all I've ever grown up with. I'd have only lived in this country. So it's easy to assume, well, this is how everyone lives, right? Everyone, like I have my principles that I grew up with living in America. So, I mean, every, everyone's got to have the same. No, they're not universal by a long shot. The mayor of London, who Hillary mentioned there, uh, he is Muslim. He said, your perverse ideology, speaking to terrorists, your perverse ideology has nothing to do with the true values of Islam. And he says, the people of London stand in defiance of an attack on our values and our way of life. That's great, but not all Muslims in Britain have the same values and way of life. They don't. Not this, this, You can think they do, but they don't. And they certainly don't have the same values and way of life as the little girls who were killed at that concert in Manchester a week or so ago. Some do. Some British Muslims do, absolutely, but not all. Now, we don't need to go crazy here because we can do numbers all day long, but we'll just stay in England. 50% of British Muslims, 50% think being gay should be illegal. 
That is such a far cry from maybe a Christian who thinks that it's wrong or a sin to illegal. Those are very, very different things. And these are British Muslims. These aren't people in Saudi Arabia. These are British, 50% of British Muslims. That's not a Western value. I could do a bunch of these, but let me just share this one. 78% of British Muslims, 78%, almost all, said they would like to integrate into British life on most things apart from Islamic schooling and some laws. Oh. Some laws. Like what? What laws? So so let's just take one of these one of these British Muslims who said, "Oh, you know, I want to integrate into British life." Except for some laws. Like what? Uh, Jaywalking? You don't want to integrate into that law? Is that the law you don't want to integrate into? Hmm. I have a feeling they're not talking about jaywalking. What kind of laws? What kind of laws do you not want to integrate into? Probably the whole you can't throw gay people off buildings law, right? Or not allowed to stone women. The genital mutilation laws we have here. What laws are you talking about? Because all of these laws that we have, at least in England's case or here in America, these are not just, or I should should say the laws that you have in Middle Eastern countries, they're not just different from Western culture. They are in direct contradiction to it. They are incompatible. This is not the difference between baklava and pecan pie. This is the difference between killing gay people or not killing gay people. Incompatible. Now, there's very different cultures, right? Japanese culture and Western culture are very different. Or listed Japanese and American. They're different. But there's enough commonalities that they're not incompatible with each other. But Islamic culture, based on Sharia law and Western culture, are. They are incompatible. Or I'll put it like this. You can't live both to the fullest. How about that? You can't live Sharia law and Western law at the same time. Impossible. Now, I want to make one last point here, and then I want to come back with a debate that was had in 2007 by Intelligence Squared. They hosted a debate. Uh, about the superiority of Western values. And they had three people who said, yes, Western values are superior. And they had three people who said Western values are not. And I want to talk about that coming up in the next segment. It's really interesting. But I'll wrap up here. I think it was last week. We talked about how ISIS grows in a vacuum, in a political vacuum. This is why ISIS is in Libya and Syria and Iraq and Yemen and Somalia and places like that. These are failed states. They have no governments, right? So their power vacuums is a void and evil ISIS infiltrates these vacuums in order to gain power. That's true uh, physically and politically. We get that. That makes perfect sense. But it's also true culturally. I believe Western values or Western countries have a cultural vacuum. And you have Western leaders, thought leaders, culture leaders, who demean intellectual leaders who demean and and cut off our values at our knees and try to destroy Western history 
and destroy, d- 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 describe Western culture as oppressive and evil and something that we should be ashamed of. And when they do that, after decades, we create, they create a cultural vacuum. And evil will fill it. Just like politically they have filled it in Libya and Syria and Yemen. Culture matters. And this is why understanding our culture. And and I may be arrested by the PC police for for what I'm going to say next. But understanding our culture. And why it is superior. Knowing that and understanding that and being able to articulate that is essential. And that's what we're going to do next. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. This is Mike Slater. Slater Crusader. How are you? All right. Let's continue this thought here. So let's talk about Western values. There was a debate a decade ago hosted by Intelligence Squared, 2007. And the question was, we should not be reluctant to assert the superiority of Western values. And there were three people on each side of the argument. One man grew up in an Islamic culture is now uh, pro-Western values. I have the opening of a speech here and I think it's important to know this. We need to be able to articulate ourselves as Americans, as patriots, as conservatives. We need to be able to articulate this properly. Otherwise, we will create a vacuum and it will be filled by something else. All right. So again, this is someone who grew up in the Middle East and now uh, pro-Western values. He says, the great idea of the West, excuse me, the great ideas of the West, rationalism, self-criticism, the disinterested search for truth, the separation of church and state, the rule of law, equality before the law, freedom of conscience and expression, human rights, liberal democracy, together, constitute quite an achievement for any civilization this set of principles remains the best and perhaps the only means for all people no matter what race or creed to live in freedom and reach their full potential and when western values have been adopted by other societies such as japan or south korea their citizens have reaped benefits now i know i ran through those quickly and truly each one of those deserves a full study and analysis like i said uh we have to be able to well First Peter three says, always be prepared 
to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now that's about Christian faith, right? You got to be able to defend your faith at any moment. Same thing, always be prepared. But for the sake of this conversation, we're going to take those as self-evident truths. Over time, we'll go over each of them. But I want to be able to compare that to what Islamic values are. Because again, if you grew up in Western value, Western culture, you don't, you're like, well, everyone, everyone's like this. But it's stunning. I'll talk with people who have spent years in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they tell me the differences. And it's, you're like, wait, what, huh? I don't even, really? People think that way? I don't even, just time. I, I, we've I've talked about this before. People in Afghanistan have no concept of time. Almost everyone's birthday is January 1st. There's no, there's no, there's no, it doesn't matter. Like they, they think in terms of decades or even hundreds of years, right? It's very different than, than us. So I, I was, you know, my son was born at 2.38 a.m. right on, on this date. Other countries just don't think like that. I mean, that's just a, one example, but it's an example of like, oh, geez, I didn't even, how can, how can people not have a concept of time? I don't. Okay, so here are some Islamic values. In many countries, especially Islamic ones, you are not free to read what you want. Under Sharia or Islamic law, women are not free to marry whom they wish. Sharia, derived from the Quran, prescribes barbaric punishments, such as stoning to death for adultery. It calls for homosexuals and apostates to be executed. In Saudi Arabia, among other countries, Muslims are not free to convert to Christianity. And Christians are not free to practice their faith. The Quran is not a rights-respecting document. Under Islam, life is a closed book. Everything has been decided for you. The dictates of Sharia and the whims of Allah set strict limits on the possible agenda for your life. But in the West, we have the choice to pursue our desires and ambitions. We are free as individuals to set the goals and determine the contents of our own lives. And we decide what meaning to give to our lives. As Roger Scruton remarks, the glory of the West is that life is an open book. And he goes on to describe you know, cultural achievements of the West, you know, symphonies, art, all the rest. He says the West gave us the Red Cross, Doctors Without Borders, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, and many other manifestations of the humanitarian impulse. It is the West that provides the bulk of the aid to beleaguered Darfur, while Islamic countries are conspicuous by their absence. One last, one last paragraph. The West does not need lectures on the superior virtue of societies where women are kept in subjugation, endure genital mutilation, and are married off against their will at the age of nine, have acid thrown in their faces, or are stoned to death for alleged adultery. The West does not need sanctimonious homilies from societies that can't provide clean drinking water or sewage systems for their populations, that cannot educate their citizens, leave 40 to 50% of them illiterate, that make no provisions for the handicapped, that have no sense of the common good or civic responsibility, and that are riddled with corruption. I love that. We don't need your sanctimonious homilies. He says the rest of the world recognizes the virtues of the West in concrete ways. When Chinese students cried and died for democracy in Tiananmen Square, they brought with them not representations of Confucius or Buddha, but a model of the Statue of Liberty. Millions of people risked their lives trying to get to the West, not to Saudi Arabia or Iran 
or Pakistan. They flee from theocratic or other totalitarian regimes to find tolerance and freedom in the West where life is an open book. Got to take a break here. There's one more clip I want to play. We'll do it in the next segment from, from one of the people debating that Western culture is superior and, and it's okay to say that. Think about this. If you're a college professor, you, you've many have decided to really dedicate their lives to tell kids how oppressive the West is, how oppressive we are to, to gay people and women and black people and Japanese people and Hispanics and everyone. We're evil and oppressive. And when you do that, you start to lose all sense of perspective, right? For instance, you say Trump is, you know, Hitler when it comes to gay rights. And you're like, what are you talking about? Trump is probably the most gay rights president we've ever had. Barack Obama, when he went into office, was not pro-gay marriage and all the rest. But when you've lost the ability to have any perspective, then you've also lost the ability to condemn people and cultures that throw gay people off buildings. This is what happens when you lose it. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Mike Slater. All right, one last clip I want to play here, play, play here, and then we'll move on to uh, something completely different here. So this is again from that debate ten years ago. Uh, this is David Aronovich. Uh, little, so he's on the pro West side that Western values are superior. Um, keep in mind, 2007. So Abu Ghraib just happened. This was the the prison in Iraq and, and American service members abused prisoners and the pictures came out and stuff like that. That was Abu Ghraib. Um, so this is just after that. 1525. But of course, when kind of considering how this debate was likely to go, I did think that however wonderful they were, the first thing we'd attempt to do would be to throw a kind of fog of obscurantism over the course of this debate. Because actually, we know what this discussion is really about. It's not about whether or not we think Western people are superior to Eastern people. Uh, It's not about race. It's not about literature. It is about cultural relativism. That's what this discussion is essentially about. Western values, as we understand them, not just practiced in the West, practiced in a large number of places, but usually called Western values, are precisely the ones that Ibn Warak laid out. And we know what they are. They are liberal democracy. They are a culture of human rights. They are, and this is very important, freedom of expression. Uh, They are freedom of worship. And they are secular government, secular government, as a consequence of those previous things. They are freedoms to, and they are freedoms from. The fact that the West may often fall short 
of its own ideals, of its own values, if you like, is testified in the very fact that something like Abu Ghraib, which was mentioned there by Charles, is regarded by us as a blot on our name rather than as a matter of good policy by the government that implemented it, as it would have been by the government of Saddam Hussein, who had Abu Ghraib before the Americans got there. So good. So good. Right. So all the people keep that argument in your back in the back pocket. People who speak out against Western values, the values and, and culture, they'll point out different black eyes in our history and they'll use those moments as evidence that we are bad people. Now, I like how uh, Aronovich started off by saying, no, there's very different between bad people and bad cultures. Right. That's important, too. But, but it, people in, in academia will, will mix these two and say, we, we have a bad culture, therefore we are bad people. Uh, and they'll point to different moments in our culture, in our history, to prove how bad we are. But the thing is, the very fact that those are black eyes, the very fact that those are moments that we regret or look back on and say, Ugh, that proves that we are not a bad society. Because there are other cultures around the world that would view those as golden moments of achievement, like Saddam Hussein would have, with Abu Ghraib. He looks at that and says, job well done. We look at that and go, oh no, right? That's not, so that's proof that we are good because we have an ideal that we try to achieve when so many other dictators and people around the world don't. This makes Western values, Western culture superior than all the others. All right, let's change topics. Talk about some values, a principle that that we have here, um, and that lead to to prosperity. I uh, I want to share this story here. It might be helpful. I have no idea how many people are listening now. Maybe this will be helpful to three people. In the rate right, like right now, it'll be helpful to three people. I mean, ultimately, at one point, it will be relevant to all of us at some point in our lives, but. Uh, to about three people right now, this will speak to you. And, and I think that's enough to make this worth it. I want to talk about the power of desperation. I may have a better title for this, but we'll see where this goes. So we've shared before, maybe a month or so ago, we shared the story of Cortez and how he went from Cuba to Latin America. And he wanted to convince his men to attack, you know, the Aztecs and, and tribes in Mexico but most of the men just kind of wanted to go back to Cuba, <laughs> be done with it, just go back to their families and take the money they got and just be done. So he had all the boats sunk so that the men had no way to retreat and would join him in attacking the tribes. Uh, Caesar did the same thing. If, if he was leading an army to a foreign land over water, he would land, get everything off the boats, and then sink the ships. There was no retreating. It was win or die. That's it. There was no other option. No running away. Happened in Eastern countries too. Sun Tzu in Art of War. He said, if you're going to battle with great warriors, like if, like if you're a commander and you have a great group of men underneath you, always fight in a place that gives you the opportunity to retreat if necessary. But if you're going to battle with not great warriors, just regular people, 
than start the battle in a place where their backs are against the wall. Because then retreat won't be an option. They'll have to fight. And they'll fight stronger because the only other option would be death. Isn't that interesting? You'd think it'd be, I don't know, the other way around, if anything. You'd think, you'd think he'd say, listen, if you're fighting with people who aren't that great, make sure there's a way to retreat because you're probably going to need it. Nope. He says, if you're going to fight with people who are probably going to retreat, make it not an option. I bet we got a lot of people from Texas listening, so you probably heard this story before. I've never heard this part of the story. You know, we've all heard the story of the Alamo, right? But I've never heard about the bridge. So Sam Houston had 800 volunteers underneath him who were not happy. They were on verge of a full-on revolt. But they came face-to-face with the enemy. There were twice as many, right? So there were 800 Texans and then twice as many enemy. Houston heard that reinforcements were coming to the, to the bat, to the enemy. So he's like, geez, we're outnumbered now. And then we got more people coming. So Houston sent one of his men to cut the bridge where the enemy reinforcements were coming from. This guy's name was Erastus Smith, but his nickname was deaf. There's actually a County in Texas named after him. Deaf Smith County. Uh, he was partially deaf. So uh, Houston tells him, go, Cut down the bridge. So they're about to start fighting and Houston's trying to hold it off until Def Smith gets back and tells him if he was successful, right? Blocking the reinforcements. So Def Smith comes back and he yells to all the men. He goes, fight for your lives. Vince's bridge has been cut down. Now, he meant, let's go, let's win the enemy's bridge has been cut down. The reinforcements aren't coming. That's what he meant. But the 800 Texans interpreted that as, "Uh uh-oh, we now have no way to retreat. They thought that was the bridge they were going to use to retreat. And that's when Sam Houston said, remember the Alamo, remember the Alamo, and they went in and they fought, and the battle lasted less than a half an hour. Only six Texans were killed. It was a dramatic victory. Why? Why did they win? Because their backs were against the wall. They had no option. Thinking that their bridge to retreat on was cut down gave them the desperation and the singleness of purpose that they needed to win. Coming up in the, I think the last hour of the show, I want to talk about D-Day. Wednesday was the 73rd anniversary of D-Day. And I want to tell the story of Point to Hawk and the Army Rangers who were able to climb this 100-foot tall cliff with the Nazis on top of the cliff shooting machine guns down on them. Holy cow, how was is, how is that possible? Because there was no option. You either climb the cliff and get to the top or you die. There was, no, there was zero way to retreat. It was impossible to retreat. Could not happen. It was climb or die. And they did it. Amazing. Here's the real story I want to share, though. That's all just background, just to prove that this has been true for all time and, and in many different cultures. Here's what I really wanted to share. Brett McKay wrote about this. Um, I've never, there's a movie called Gattaca. I've never, I've never seen it. Maybe you have, and you remember the scene, but it's set in the future. And in the future, there are two races of people. You have the valids and the invalids. So the valids are genetically superior in every way. Now there's two brothers and one is a valid and one's an invalid, the younger brother. And they have this contest between the two of them to see who can swim the farthest out before they turn back. So it's a game of chicken. 
All right, we'll see who can who can swim the furthest. First one to turn back loses. Now the valid brother would win every time because he was in, uh, superior, All right? Better swimmer and everything. So every time he would win. But one day the younger brother won, the invalid, the inferior brother. And he actually swam out so far that, and just never turned back that the valid brother, the older brother, started to drown and had to be rescued by the younger brother. So they make it back and the valid brother, the older brother, asks how he swam so far. He's never been able to swim that far. How did he swim so far this time? And the younger brother responded, I never saved anything for the swim back. I never saved anything for the swim back. Meaning he was prepared to give everything to win. Our veterans know what this feels like. But I share this because there's someone listening now. It might be you. Who's in a situation where you don't know what to do. Are you going to go all in? Or just a little bit in? Or not in at all, right? You just don't know what to do. Now, I don't know the details. So I can't complete give advice here. You know, obviously, be wise, be prudent. Get advice. But if your gut is telling you to go all in, if that's what your gut's telling you, do it. Do it like the men of Point du Hoc. Do it like Sam Houston. Do it like Cortez. Do it like Caesar. Do it like Sun Tzu. Go all in. Be desperate. Put your back against the wall. Put your own back against the wall. And you will find a new gear that you never knew you had. Don't save anything for the swim back. one 900 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. We actually got a few minutes here. I want to talk about Comey uh, coming up in the next segment. Uh, but let's wrap up because I mentioned terrorism earlier. We kicked off the show talking about that and the West, the West's reaction to it or lack of reaction. Um, this is uh, Theodore Dalrymple. He's a really fantastic thinker and writer. That's his pen name. His name's Anthony Daniels. He was a doctor in an inner city hospital in prison in uh, England for decades. So he's lived a really fascinating life. So... Wrote a great editorial in the Wall Street Journal. I just want to quote this one paragraph. He says, from all of this, he's talking about all the ways that our culture appeases Muslims. Uh, for, he gave an example of in Birmingham, they have women-only tables in the library. Women-only tables. All right, this is for Muslim women. Okay. From all this, terrorists surely draw a great deal of comfort. It gives them, the terrorists, the impression of living in a weak society that will be easy to destroy. They perceive ours as a candle and teddy bear society. We kill, you light candles. 
The other day I passed a teddy bear shop. That is to say a shop that sold nothing but teddy bears. I'm sure the terrorism is good for business, but the teddy bears are more reassuring for the terrorists than for those who buy them to place on the site of the latest outrage. The teddy bears are more reassuring for the terrorists than for those who buy them to place on the site of the latest outrage. I'll end with this just uh, as a final example of, of how everything has to be our fault. That's the lens that the left has. Everything has to be our fault. And you've heard this before the last couple of decades that the Syrian civil war, the civil war going on in Syria is caused by climate change. So you driving to work, using work, driving car, whatever, like everything, flying in planes, you caused the Syrian civil war. Scientific American wrote an article two years ago and, and others have used the term climate refugees. So this nonsense has been going around and there's a man in Syria. He's the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's a Syrian man. And he said, no, he said the situation in Syria uh he said that doesn't have to do, it doesn't have to do with agriculture or with crops. It has to do with the regime that was torturing teenagers. He says, yes, there's a, there was a drought in Syria, but there's always droughts. Droughts don't necessarily lead to a civil war. He said in a civil war, families get their water cut off as the government tries to make them cry uncle. The use of food and water is a mechanism to control populations has augmented by thousands of times the, the agricultural reality of drought. Are you with this? So yes, there is a drought. There's always droughts. Droughts have always happened. Droughts will always happen. That doesn't necessarily mean that a murderous genocidal regime will come to power. But there already was a murderous genocidal regime. And not only were they killing people, but they were cutting off food and water from people for not caving to the demands of the dictator. And then I may like, but, but no, no, that's our all. That's all our fault. Amazing. How the West gets blamed even for that. But when you have certain people like progressives and academics who, who truly look at the world through that lens, they will go through the best of mental gymnastics to make it your fault. Don't let them. Don't buy it. Mike Slater show the blaze radio network spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.